Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Wednesday, July 26, 2017. Back from my travels... Happy to be ensconced here at the Pirate Cave, North Dakota. Lithia is fitted, ready for action. Let's head out to sea. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which to help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to open up the Bible to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, that's... Weird how that works, isn't it? And over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine and teaching that is put out by the evangelical industrial complex isn't biblical. It's not what God's Word teaches. It's not what the Word of God actually says or means. And the Christianity that's being taught today in many Christian churches isn't Christian. Yeah, kind of strange how that all works. And uh, I know that what I just said may have may come to a shock to some of you. You may be thinking, what is this? Is this the podcast version of the Ice Bucket Challenge? Who is this guy? Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. So over and again, I don't ever, and I say this all the time, don't want you to listen with an open mind. Don't give me the benefit of, a, of the doubt. What I always challenge people to do, follow along and listen with an open mind. Bible. That's kind of the idea. So let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. It, it's you know it's we're going to begin with a prophetic holy orders network information exchange syndicate <laughs> uh, uh, update. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I'm looking at what we've got to look at here. How do I set this up for you so that you know what to expect? Now I understand it's Wednesday. You know. And I'm I, I'm thinking that maybe as my New Year's resolution that when it comes to timely prophetic words, you know, that are being released 
like diseases, Ebola, on the internet, um, that as they're being released, we're going to try to get them out a little bit sooner. But please understand, I was traveling this week, um, had a great time at the Higher Things um, Board of Directors meeting. And uh, so I was traveling. I was in Indiana, had to go through Chicago yesterday, you know, and that that's a traumatic experience. So as a result of it, we weren't able to get Ryan Lestrange's Monday word out on 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 you know monday so i know it's wednesday so forgive us we'll we'll get this out but to make it up for you yeah yeah to to make it up yeah, be, because you know i i feel so guilt-ridden <clears throat> not really but um we are proud to announce that the august prophetic words are already starting to be released Ye- yes they are and k nash is kind of like the uh, prophetess self-proclaimed prophetess on the spot and she was literally the first to come to our attention of the the youtube prophetesses who have released the august prophetic word and so by getting this out to you um before august begins we're helping you out i mean that's just the best way to do so we'll start with ryan lestrange we'll check in with k nash and (laughs) i'm gonna have to play our standard warning we're going to check in with Amanda Wells. That now, Technically, that will be a new Apostolic Reformation update with Amanda Wells. She's not just Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. She's NAR. So we're going to check in with Amanda Wells as she explains to us her deep theological insights and um, exegetical um, mysteriums that she, she sees into the text. As it relates to the story of Noah's Ark. <laughs> oh my word! I you you have to be sitting down for the promise me, okay? Promise me that when I get to the Amanda Wells segment, I will play the warning that that you will heed the warning. You do not understand just how absurd. Some of the things you're going to hear are going to be. That's all I got to say. And then, uh, you know, at the, to round out hour number one, we're going to head over to the Jim Baker show where Jennifer LeClaire recently uh, <clears throat> appeared uh, talking about undercover angels. And uh, we're going to pick up the episode in question where Tom Horn, Tom Horn, Mr. Prophecy Guy, uh, Tom Horn gives a glowing glowing endorsement of uh, Jennifer LeClaire's angelology. And all I can say is it's clear to me that um, that Tom Horn is um, a victim. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. We, we, we are pretty convinced at this point that the sneaky squid has um, gotten a hold of his brain. It's very sad, very tragic. So um, that will be hour number one. Hour number two. Um, we're going to switch it up a little bit, and uh, we're going to be listening to a sermon by Judah Smith titled Hands and Knees. Hands and Knees. And uh, let, let's just say the, 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 the discernment level needed on this one to kind of catch what's going wrong, it's a little higher than normal. You know, Judah is uh, a, a more subtle uh, Bible twister, so keep that in mind. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, strongly recommend you make yourself comfortable. We've got a lot of ground we need to cover, so let's get to it. Time for a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Here we go. Oh, hallelujah. Hey. 
get up right now. Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So for our, first up for our Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Again, it's a, it's a little tardy, but we're going to make it up in the next piece. But here's Ryan Lestrange to give us this week's m- fresh Monday word from God. Here we go. Hi, friends. It's Ryan Lestrange with the Monday word. And my word for you is it's time to move up. You know, I've been prophesying the upgrade. We've been talking about uncommon exploits. And the Lord said, Ryan, it's time to move up. Tell my people it's time to go up. And so I I looked up. Yeah, that, that's a little scary. Um, <laughs> if it's time to go uh, up, <laughs> I mean, are we, where are we going? Are we going to heaven? Does that mean we're going to die? I mean, what do you mean it's time to go up? The simplicity of that word up, and it means in or into a higher position or level. I just prophesied. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hang on a second here. I've just pulled up dictionary.com, and he said that up is kind of simple. Holy guacamole. I am not kidding, folks. If you go to dictionary.com and you type in up as a word that you want to look up, <laughs> I, one, two, 30, uh, 87 different definitions. 87. And he said up was a simple word. Well, you know, as an adverb, it could mean to, toward, or in a more elevated position. Or it could also mean to or in an erect position. Or three, out of bed, like get up. However, uh, you know, as a preposition, it could mean to or toward, to an elevated place, or... Uh, on or in, it could be at or to a farther point or a higher place or toward a particular direction in the interior of, as in the region of territory. Explorers were up north. Then there's the adjectival form of the word up, going on or happening, taking place or occurring, like what's up over there or having a high position or a station. He is up in society. Then there's the noun version, a rise of fortune, a time of good fortune, like in he has had more ups than downs in his career. And believe me, I didn't even give you an exhaustive you know, listing of the possible definitions of the word up. And yet Ryan Lestrange says it's such a simple word. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not simple at all. I feel like you're pulling a fast one, Ryan. The rise, that God's purpose is causing you to go up, to move up, to advance up, to rise up. It means into an upright position. Notice that the word up had different definitions based upon the uses that he just gave. And yet he says it's such a simple word. The Lord is putting you into an upright position that what has been out of position. What if I throw up or up Chuck, you know, things like that. 
being divinely positioned. It means upward from the ground or the surface. Sometimes you got to leave the low places in order to get into that divine position, to get into that upgrade. And All right, so I got to leave the low places. Man, this is hard for me. Okay, so I, you know, I live in North Dakota, you know, and uh, and the sad part is I yeah, um, live in the eastern part of the state. So um, we live in epic flatness here in North Dakota, and I know I've said this before, but I mean, how high up do I need to go, you know, if I'm supposed to leave the low places? You know, should I climb a tree? Um, I'm trying to think, do we have any tall buildings? Yeah, I got to put some thought into this family, in your ministry, in your finances. I like this part. It means with greater intensity. What if the Lord began to accelerate you with greater intensity? What if? I mean, what if he did accelerate me with greater intensity? Would I need to wear a seatbelt? Maybe a helmet. I'm not sure. You know? Means in or into a better or advanced state. Yeah. Psalms 121 says, I will lift up my eyes. Notice you got to look up. He said, I will lift <laughs> Hang on, looking up. Look, 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 I see the ceiling of the pirate cave. Yeah, it's white. Yeah, we painted it was painted white. So I'm looking up. Okay. Up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Oh no, there are no hills here in North Dakota. At least this part. How am I supposed to lift up my eyes to the hills when there's no hills? My help comes from the Lord. He said, I'm going to look up. I don't care what's going on around me. Yeah. I don't care what the enemy's saying. I don't care yeah. what my body's saying, what the doctor's saying, what negative report. Yeah. I don't care if the doctor says I'm going to be dead tomorrow. I'm going to because the Monday word says it's time for you me to go up. I need to look up. Yeah. I'm going to look up, yeah. and part of moving up is beginning to look up. You've got to set your eyes on the right things, and yeah. many of you, the devil's getting you to look at the wrong things. He has. Yeah, don't look down. Just up, only up. Focus in the wrong place, at the wrong people, at the wrong thing. He's limiting your advancement by what you're seeing with these eyes. And oh, the no. I, my, my advancement can be limited by what my eyes see? Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. I mean, just thinking about this. I mean, you know, I could really use an advancement, an accelerated, suddenly advancement. That would be really helpful. But I had no idea that what I was looking at could decelerate my accelerated advancement thingy. So, yeah. So you, you, you're going to notice here that this is no prophecy from God. <laughs> like, far from it. I mean, it's just absurdity. It's just a string of words, and he's engaging in wordplay, creating the false impression that he's hearing from God and that this is some kind of timely Kairos, Kronos type of word thingy that you need and you can't, you can't function in your life unless you have this now word, which is one of the reasons why I'm always happy when we don't get them out on time. Anyway, I think you get the idea, but Hey, this one, we got out on time. I, you know, let's, uh, Switch it up a little bit, and let's check in with the self-proclaimed YouTube prophetess, Kay Nash, as uh, she has been Johnny on the spot. And today, this very day, July 26th, released the word that God gave her for the month of August. Oh, man, uh, this is timely stuff here. I'm sure it'll change your life. Here we go. Hi, guys, and welcome to another episode of Living Well. I am so excited to talk to you guys about August's prophetic word 
There's a lot. Um, this is almost a sermon this month. It's pretty intensive, so sit down, have a cup of tea, get your journal out, um, get your Bible out, and let's just unpack this because this is a pretty big thing. Um, the word I have for this month is being blessed. Right, yeah. Being blessed. Okay. That's, so that's the August word, being blessed. That's, that's amazing. Now, when you think about the word blessed, you often think about um, just, I want to be blessed, Lord. Lord, please bless me. Um, and you can just say this a hundred times, but nothing. Yeah, usually I think that somebody sneezed. Yeah. Manifest. You don't feel blessed. You don't see that you're being blessed. And that is because of what we're going to unpack today. The Bible gives us specific instructions on how to be blessed. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and who... All right. So in order to be blessed, she she's now quoting Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Blessed is in the Lord. They will be like a tree planted by the water that send out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes... Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. Right. Now, important to note there, that passage is actually calling for faith. Now, the reason I say that is because the Greek word for faith is pistis. And um, that's the noun form. The verb form is pistuo. And the idea behind pistis or pistuo is quite simple. It's trust. Yeah, that's the idea. Blessed is the one who trusts, has faith in, believes in Christ, and is trusting Christ for what? Forgiveness of sins, right? Standing before God, salvation, eternal life, and that God will be our God, you know, and that means that he cares for us and loves us and meets our daily needs. I mean, that's kind of the idea, you know, give us this day our daily bread, and truly the one who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted, okay? So, that was her text. Let's see what she does with it. You know, I start where this all started from is at the beginning of um, the, I think the beginning of July, I started seeing for August, I saw the color green and I'm like, okay, I see the color green, but I don't understand what that's about. And the Lord reminded me of this verse where it says its leaves are always green. Right. See, there you go. I mean, that proves this has got to be a true prophecy because, you know, she saw green. I have no idea what that means, but she saw green. Um, and who doesn't want that, right? And, and of course, you know, it's kind of fascinating. She happens to be wearing green for this um, <laughs> video. Everyone wants to be in this ever-bearing fruit season. Um, and everyone wants to be in this place where they're not wearing drought or anything like that. Yeah, don't wear drought. Yeah, I'm telling you, it looks terrible with, like, fuchsia and stuff like that. Drought is a terrible thing to wear. Um, so, um, we all want to be blessed. Now, but the thing is, we need to break down what exactly the things to get the blessing of the Lord are. And we're going to do that with this verse and another verse that I felt highlighted. Let me read the other verse, too. Okay. Um, this is in Psalms 1. Um, one through three. Okay. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the, the law of the Lord, and 
in his law he meditates day and night. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And this is the best part. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, so you're going to note then that the one who has true faith in Christ meditates on his law. Now, what's fun here in the Hebrew is that when we talk about the law, okay, in the Hebrew it says the Torah meditates on his Torah. Torah is more expansive than commandments. It's really talking about meditates on the word of God. So the one who trusts in the Lord, believes his word, meditates on his word, doesn't stand in the seat of sinners and scoffers, and but his delight is in God. His, his delight is in the Torah, the word of God, right? So, all right. So, I mean, great passages that she's chosen. Let's see how good she is at exegesis. You want to be in a season where everything you do prospers. You want to be known as a person who, if you put your hand on it, it's going to prosper. But Yeah, yeah, so that's kind of missing the whole point. Um, wow, so rather than delighting in God, I'm going to delight in the fact that I'm going to be the person that, well, everything I touch turns to gold. Yeah, do you want to be like King Midas? Prosper, be prosperous just doesn't come out of working really hard and, you know, tilling your land and all that stuff. Like, that's yeah, tell that to Tiger Woods. He's a Buddhist and he's still a multimillionaire, although he's really struggling lately, bad back and all, you know. But, you know, I look at all the pagans on, like, the PGA Tour and all the pagans in football and and the Major League Baseball and, you know, all these you know, multimillion dollar athletes. I mean, they, they, they don't trust in the Lord at all. Um, everything they touch seems to turn to gold, multi-million dollar gold. And um, yeah, so what are you talking about again? It's important. However, it it's not the only thing. You know, character and certain spiritual principles are in play. So we're going to kind of break that down. The first thing it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. All right, good, good. Okay, so right, we're going to trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord for what? The Bible, when it talks about faith and trust in God, what are we trusting him for? What does Scripture tell us to trust him for? Um, and whose trust is in the Lord. Okay, so our first principle of being blessed is walking in trusting the Lord. Okay? Um, and what does it mean to trust the Lord? Um, what did he tell you? Um, do you believe it? Are you walking towards it in faith, you know? Um. Uh, excuse me here, hang hang. what did God tell me? So you think that Jeremiah 17, trusting in the Lord, has to do with believing that I've received a direct revelation from God to do particular things in this life. Yeah, that's an improper referent. Are you meditating on unbelief, you know? Um, yeah. And unbelief can seriously stop a breakthrough from happening. You don't want... Right, you don't want your unbelief to stop a breakthrough from happening. I don't think that's what Jeremiah 17 is talking about at all. To stay in that place, if you're doing that right now, you have to trust the Lord. And if you've stopped trusting the Lord and you used to trust the Lord, you need to ask the Lord, what made me stop trusting you? Can you heal that memory? Can you heal that moment? Heal that memory. Yeah, and by the way... A little bit of a setup. Tomorrow's episode of Fighting for the Faith, Katie Sousa will be talking about time travel. Just want to let you know. 
So I can really trust you again. And even sometimes you're not going to feel like you trust the Lord because oftentimes it's faith, right? And so the things you're seeing are showing up contrary to what's going on. You know, Lazarus didn't look like he was getting any better, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> oh, man. So in uh, John chapter 11, uh, let's take a look. I can't believe we got to do this. Okay, so we're going to take a look at uh, John chapter 11, the Gospel of John chapter 11, and we're going to take a look at the story of Lazarus really quick because she is holding this up as an example of a fellow who, as well as Jeremiah 17 is teaching, trusts in the Lord, you know, and so apparently he... His trust is what got him out of the uh, predicament that he found himself in. But it's a great passage, by the way. Um, but uh, let's take a look at the details. Uh, John chapter 11, it's the story of Lazarus. It says this, uh, a certain man uh, was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, who was of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death, for it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So notice, Lazarus died. Totally died. He's stone cold, graveyard dead. Now, you know, passing, you know, kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, um, you know, because Lazarus's state doesn't change <laughs> um, at all. He remains dead until verse 43. At verse 43, Jesus, who is now in the graveyard where Lazarus is, where his body is, here's what it says. Verse 43, when he had said these things, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Now, little quick question here I have uh, by way of quiz um, and that would be, um, what exactly did Lazarus do in order to be raised from the dead? If the answer is he couldn't do anything because he's dead, well, then you're paying attention to Scripture. So, again, note that Canash here is pointing to this passage as if it's somehow revealing a secret step to blessing that has to do with trust. Let me back up a little bit and we continue. It's faith, right? And so the things you're seeing are showing up contrary to what's going on. You know, Lazarus didn't look like he was getting any better, right? But it's like 
God still healed him. So, but he didn't know that God was going to heal him. However, it's like you have to get into this place where you trust the Lord if you want to be blessed. Okay. So- yeah. See, you got to trust the Lord in order to be blessed like Lazarus did. Tip number one. Tip number two um, is not fearing because it says here, it says it does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. If you're walking in fear, you're not going to live a blessed life. In fact, you're. Yeah. Don't you note that uh, the the ability to walk fearlessly is based upon the faith and trust, which builds somebody up strong. Fear it works with doubt. Those, those they kind of run together, which is contrary to what faith produces. Faith produces confidence. Mm-hmm. So um, she's saying, well, you've got to stop fearing as if somehow that's a thing you've got to do. But read the text. Fear is the byproduct. Uh, lack of fear is the byproduct of faith. I think you kind of get the idea. Um, yeah, pretty much useless, worthless uh, so-called prophecies. I will not be... Uh, organizing my calendar in the month of August based on this. And this week definitely will not be looking at Ryan Lestrange's Monday Word to help me get through this particular week. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break when we come back. We're going to check in with Amanda Wells. We'll have to play a warning as well as Jennifer LeClaire, Tom Horman, Jim Baker. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> it's Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. of Marty Python's Flying Circus Church would like to again apologize. Normally we try to do parody here at Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. Unfortunately, the church continues to just parody itself. Case in point, Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed shofar CD. This is a real commercial. When Rabbi Michael Zeitler blows the shofar, miracles take place. He wants to see God break every stronghold of the enemy in your life, healing you emotionally, physically, even in your relationships, bringing salvation to your entire household. Call now and receive both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD, Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, for a donation of $25. Shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Listen to this anointed audio CD. Allow God's glory to fill the room as Rabbi 
Rabbi Zeitler shares from the scriptures and then blows the shofar over every issue you are facing, including mental and emotional disorders, confusion, fear, stress, grief, nightmares, insomnia, pain, sickness and disease, addictions, eating disorders, weight loss, injustices, persecution, finances, marriages, rebellious children, freedom from the occult and demonic oppression, and so much more. Through Rabbi Zeitler's brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural, you will learn how you and your family can obtain supernatural protection in the midst of the end time judgments about to be unleashed on planet earth. Don't miss out on getting both Rabbi Michael Zeitler's anointed audio CD Sound of the Shofar, plus his brand new prophetic book, Why Israel is Supernatural. For a donation of $25, shipping and handling is included. Ask for offer number 9081. Call or write today. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Striving for Eternity and the Bible Thumping Wingnut are happy to announce the Judge Not Conference, August 11 and 12 in Amstead Falls, Ohio, at Amstead Falls Baptist Church. Speakers include Phil Johnson, Mike Abendroth, Justin Peters, J.D. Hall, and Chris Roseborough. Also included is a debate at 7 p.m. on Friday on the topic of the charismatic gifts. Continuationism versus cessationism. You can register for the Judge Not Conference at judgenotconference.org. Don't miss this awesome opportunity and fellowship on the topic of apologetics and evangelism. Judge Not Conference, judgenotconference.org. Register today. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that anybody claiming to be a prophet today is off their rocker. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you decide. That's right. We have four ranks in our crew. You get to pick your rank. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. A gunner's made after that at $24.95 a month. Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster at $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great 
way to support us. Of course, if you would like to make a one-time contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208, and let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. My apologies for cracking up there. I know what's coming next, and my mind is just a little bit into the future. So uh, since I promised we'd play a warning, we're going to play a warning before we do this. And this is not a throwaway warning. I Listen, if you hurt yourself listening to this segment, <laughs> I'm off the hook. That's all I got to say. Let's play this, and we'll get to it. Warning, fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. You have been warned, and since this is an Amanda Wells NAR update, let's do this. Down at an English fair, one evening I was there, when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life. Sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Sing and roll a bell, a ball, a penny a pitch. Roll a bowl a ball, roll a bowl a ball, sing and roll a bowl a ball a penny a pitch. Yeah, that's right. I've got a lovely, lovely, lovely bunch of coconuts. <laughs> I don't know how to explain what it is that you're about to hear. All I can say is that it has something to do <laughs> with the story of Noah. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I can't believe that people actually sat through this and thought that they were hearing a word supposedly related to God's word because any nothing could be further from the truth. Here's Amanda Wells to give us her keen, keen, <laughs> prophetic insight into the story of Noah, uh, 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 complete with her clearly, cl- clearly um, ex- expert command of the Hebrew language and maths. I'll explain in a second. Here we go. You know, all of those scriptures that have gone before in our day, they've all gone before us. They're looking, all of the angels are looking for our day. They're looking for a nation that is discipled that will disciple nations. Now, are you ready? Because that was nothing. Okay, I'm ready. Noah 
Genesis 6.15 makes an ark. We're taught in Sunday school. Okay, let's look at this ark, shall we? Sure, yeah. Good. It's 300 cubits by 50 cubits by 30 cubits. Hang on. I failed maths. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so she's already admitted that she failed maths. Maths. I guess maybe in Australia they, they talk about maths in the plural. Um, but she's she's already admitted that she has failed maths. And Genesis 6.15 is the verse in question. And here's what it says. This is how you were to make it. God commanding Noah to build the ark um, and cover it at, in and out with pitch. This is how you're to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits, okay? So just keep that in mind. Keep these measurements in your mind. Let's see what the uh, amazing mind of Amanda Wells is going to do with this. But to me, that's a box. A what? Am I correct? No. It's a box. Where did we get this real pretty little ark thing from? Where did we get it from? God said, make a box, 300 cubits. What, what does that mean? Well, it's the letter shin in Hebrew. And <laughs> she doesn't know what she's talking about. means that it will have a government mental head. Uh, 50 cubits is the letter none. It means that it will have the crown of life. It will be government. <laughs> Please tell us more. And and 30 cubits is the letter Lamed, and it mm-hmm. means that it will it will house the king of wisdom. Yeah, that that's not how you do Hebrew, by the way. You know, you know, somehow think that each word is a code to be cracked. You gotta be careful with that. So it's a box. That was the box. Yeah, the box. The ark. The length of it is Ario, and it means when God appears, you'll see him in light. Okay, tell us more. Breadth means the ability of Noah to enlarge the width and the height of this is that you, this, this, I'm building something that will be established in kingdom and governmental uh, wisdom. Yeah, 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 right. A box. Yeah, a box. It's not a boat. No, no. Now, if I think in Hebrew... Yeah, poor... poor. Somebody get a note off to Ken Ham, would you? That whole Ark Encounter thing. Oh, you missed it. Didn't you know that Ario means... <laughs> no. Oh, man. Oh, man. Ken Ham totally messed this up. Think function. Yeah. You see, the problem is we've been taught Greek thinking. Mm-hmm. So a box is a box. Mm-hmm. So it can't be a box because a box won't float. It must be an ark. That's a Greek. <laughs> did, did they tithe in this service? To a Hebrew, that box straight away meant a box. Yeah. A gate of entry. Right, yeah. yeah. See, every, everybody who knows Hebrew, I mean, that's the first thing that comes to their mind. 
when they read about the ark. Yeah, they, the first thing that comes is that you know it's a, it's a thing of entry kind of thingy, right? Yeah, you because know, you know everybody knows the he, the Hebrew word teva, which is what we translated as the the word ark in our Bibles. That um, that the bath in the middle of it. Well, that that's the Hebrew letter that means um, losing your mind mm-hmm. and uh, munching on Cheetos. I'm just saying, you know, it, th- that's exactly what the Hebrews would think about, you know, the the, the fact that Teva has, uh, you know, a, a, a bath right there in the middle of it, you know, and the hay at the end. Wow. <laughs> Whew. You know, I mean, they they think, oh, man, this, this Hebrew word ends in hay. You know what that means, right? Yeah. It means that the the moon is going to radiate your mind if you don't put on a tinfoil pyramid hat. To six verse sixteen says, "A window shalt thou make to the ark, and in a cubit shalt thou finish it above, and the door of the, one door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. One window and one door in this box." Mm. Yeah. I say that again. One window. Yeah. One door. Yeah. In this box. Yeah, in this teva, yeah, thousands of animals, thousands, from cockroaches, yeah, to ants, yeah, indeed, to elephants, mm-hmm, for sure, seven turtle doves, which wasn't a pair, by the way. That's interesting. Someone lied to me there. Yeah, two turtle doves. You see, that's um, that's. That's from a song that people sing around Christmas time. Yeah. <laughs> On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. Yeah. Giraffes. Mm-hmm. Kangaroos. They don't sit still. No, no, no. A moose. Yeah, there was moose. I mean, I could go on. Yeah. All of these. Yeah. In a box. Yeah, in, including the, the elephants, the hippopotami, the, the gazelle, the deer. You know, think of the grizzly bears and, you know, cows and goats and sheep and things. Yeah, and kitty cats. Yeah, and tigers and lions and bears. Oh, my. Does that make sense to you? I. What exactly is the point that you're making as far as something not making sense? Because so far, you ain't making no sense here, lady. You know, what do you mean that just because of the cubit span that it's a box and did they tell us it was a box it was a because it's an ark and the dimensions actually fit a boat yes they do pretty little ark now Mm. god shut the door of the box indeed yes and it says in genesis 7 verse 24 i'm trying to get through this the waters prevailed hang on a second wasn't it just 40 days? Isn't that what Sunday school taught us? Wasn't it just 40 days? Yeah, that's how long the rain lasted. Oh, they lied again. <laughs> so Sunday school lied to us about the 40 days. Oh, my word. We, we got to call Ken Ham. I mean, the, the whole premise of the uh, Ark Encounter is off. Yet, listen to this. Um, oh, man. So, uh, Genesis seven 17. Uh, I'll start verse 16. And those that entered, male and female and all flesh, went in as God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. 
Verse 17 of Genesis 7. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily that the earth and all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. Yeah, so that that whole 40 days thing. Um, yeah, your Sunday school teacher, whatever you know, Amanda Wells is saying here, your Sunday school teacher actually probably had it right. I'm pretty sure Amanda's wrong here. And why on earth would Sunday school teachers lie about what the Bible says to their students with the Bible sitting open in front of them? What has prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days? Yeah, that's how long the flood itself in its totality lasted, the rain part Forty, yeah. Now I'm not sure about you, but there's Noah, his family, with the cockies. They're the cockroaches. With the roos, they're the kangaroos, the moose, the elephants, the giraffes, whatever badgers, whatever squirrels you've got over it, whatever else, all of those birds flying around. And I'm an Aussie, so we say it as it is, with all their poo in a box. Poo in a box. Right on. Okay, this is quite the retelling. (laughs) Notice she's not reading any biblical text. She's just kind of shooting from the hip here. A hundred and fifty days. Not only would it smell, I wouldn't be able to move. I'd be buried in it. Someone didn't tell me the truth. Maybe they brought a shovel with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just saying. Someone missed something. Because it wasn't just 150 days. I'm glad you asked me about that. Uh, No, nobody was asking you about that. There was 40 days of rain. Right. You just admitted what you said was a lie. Good gravy. 150 days of flood water. That is 200 days of excretion and smell in a box. In a box, yes, in a box. Now, surely something else went on here, don't you think? I'm sure something else went on, and please don't call me Shirley. Because the box would have drowned just in poo alone. (laughs) How do you figure... Okay, and the reason I have to ask the question is it's real simple. It's not like, you know, when you bring food onto the ark and then the animals consume the food and then when their body is done digesting the food and and expels it, that you've somehow added to the total weight of the ark. No, um, not at all. In fact, the total weight of the ark may have gone down after the digestion process. I'm just saying, it's not like, you know, ex- excrement adds weight to, you know, to the ark. You know, because it started at one end, ended up at the other. Granted, something horrible happened in between. Um, but <laughs> you haven't added to the total mass of, you know, uh, you know, of the ark itself. 
straight to the bottom. So let's go back to the law of first mention. The, the law of first mention. Okay. About animals. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Animals were led before Adam. And Adam named them. Do you know? Every animal knew Adam's voice. Uh-huh. How did Noah gather the animals? I don't know. Maybe God sent them. They knew Noah's voice. Animals were made. Which text says that they knew Noah's voice? In heaven first. Now, you're going to have to listen to me here. Because some of you are going to, you're still back on the the excretion thing. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Come on, get out of the box for a second. But you already have us in a very large box with a bunch of poo. Are you ready for a a revelation here? Sure, yes, please enlighten us. Your 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 perceptions, your insights are well, n- nobody in all of human history has ever found the things that you are finding in scripture. A secret. A secret. Okay. She's going to tell us a secret, okay? Animals were not made on earth. Oh, really? Where were they made? They were made in heaven. I see. That's weird because the Bible doesn't say that. That's quite a secret. Earth was not removed from heaven until woman's Adam was that. that. (laughs) Does it sound like she's just making this up? Opening that door was made yeah. in Adam's side, yeah, right, yeah. the father's blessing, mm-hmm. and taken that rib taken out yeah, yeah. of woman. That's when earth was taken out of heaven. Mm, yeah, right. And where did you find that in the biblical text? It's a secret. Yeah, maybe she got this in the Gnostic text. I'm not sure. Now, some of you are looking at me like, tilt, tilt. Yeah. Do you know in the beginning, it says God created heaven and earth. Who put the and in there? Man. The, the, um, who put the and in there? Man did. Okay, well, let's check the Hebrew here. Bereshit, bera, Elohim, eth, ha, shemayim, va, eth, Eretz. Well, that's weird because the and is right there in the Hebrew. You see, yeah, let, let me translate. Bereshit, in the beginning. Okay, bara, he created. God created, Elohim. Eth ha shemayim. God created the heavens. Va eth ha Eretz. Va here is and. Mm-hmm. See, yeah, that's weird. Man didn't invent the and. It's right there in the first sentence of the Bible in Hebrew. And the English catches it correctly when it says that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The and is actually in the Hebrew. In the beginning, heaven, earth. Animals were in the realm 
of eternity. Right, right, sure. That's where they were created. Yeah, the text actually doesn't say that. Wow, she's um, she's bonkers. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just say a few things here because unless we understand that earth was taken out of heaven. Yeah. This is why we're all singing at the moment. Heaven come down, heaven. Heaven can't come down. It'll squash us. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the heaven's way, it'll squash us. Yeah. Heaven does not fit into earth. Earth fits into heaven. Mm, okay. Okay. You do know the heavenly Jerusalem comes down out of heaven to earth, right? Mm, I'm hearing mms. Yeah, they're wondering if they need to, you know, call some people and have them take you away, I'm sure. Now, the thing with the enemy, he's been after the woman, but it's not the woman he's after. Oh, right. The enemy is after earth. He sounds like, they sound like paranoid delusions to me. Because earth came out of heaven. Uh Now, let's go on. I I know some of you are sitting there going, tilt, tilt, this is all too much. Is there a point that you're trying to make? I'd like to hear that point. (sighs) Would you stop blowing in the microphone? That just, Uh, Of course I can have heavenly encounters. Mm. Because heaven's not out there somewhere. Mm. Earth came out of heaven. Mm. Mm. If God had the capacity to remove earth from heaven and take the animals and put them on the earth, he's got the capacity to take them and put them back in the heavens. Yeah, I'm I'm sure God could do just about anything, but... Where is he? You know, first of all, it actually doesn't say that Earth came out of heaven. Um, and you said the and was invented, but it's right there in the Hebrew in the Masoretic text. And uh, yeah, okay. Noah opens the door of the ark. Yeah. Calls the animals, just like Adam. Uh. Calls them. Okay. They come into the ark. Yeah. They were no longer in the ark. They had been taken back into the heavens. I see. So, <laughs> well, the door of the ark was a portal into heaven. And when the animals went up the ramp into the ark, blammo, they're back in heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no text says this. This is quite the story. Tell us a little more. Why are we teaching people that they cannot get to heaven until, you know, well, you'll never see heaven until you die? Yeah, because those animals saw heaven (laughs) as soon as they entered into the ark. I mean, come on. I, I know no biblical text says this. No biblical scholar has ever seen this before. But hey, you know, this, we're talking about Amanda Wells. I mean, she can teleport to like different parts of the planet and stuff like that. And Jesus said you'll have eternal life. Yeah. <laughs> he does. And 
I, yeah. Talk about non-lucid preaching and teaching. Could you imagine having woken up on a Sunday morning, you know, gone to church, and that's what you heard? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you learn nothing. And I mean, absolutely nothing about Scripture, the truth, sound doctrine. No, not at all. So, yeah, boy, I think you get the idea. Now, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to hang on to the um, the Jim Baker segment. I'll play it tomorrow because um, I want to go with it a little bit longer uh, than I can. I, I went a wee bit long on the Amanda Wells thing, but <laughs> can you blame me? That's all I got to say. So... All right, let's uh, let's go to our second break, and when we come back, we'll uh, get to our sermon review. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, um, sermon review from Judah Smith. Very strange one, too. A little subtle. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. High Ridge Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. A little more subtle than Amanda Wells. Uh, yeah, that was just blatant nonsense. Not hard to debunk from Scripture. Judah Smith, gonna be a wee bit tougher. Hope you got your thinking caps on. See if we can do this right. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon is preached by Judah Smith. The name of it is Hands and Knees. This goes off the, the rails pretty quickly. 
And it's because he's not engaging in actual exegesis. Yeah, we'll kind of demonstrate it along the way. It should be kind of interesting. So let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here's Judah Smith and his sermon, Hands and Knees. Here we go. Okay, Hebrews 12, um, and let's read verse 12. It says, Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. All right, now we're going to note here. Hmm. Hebrews 12, 12, the verse begins with the word, therefore. Yeah, now there's this funny little saying I actually learned from the seeker-driven guys, and they used to say, you know, back in the day, <laughs> I don't think they do exegesis anymore, but they would claim that if the word therefore appears in a biblical text, you need to ask what the therefore is there for. Right. Um, so it's important for us to know that Hebrews 11 is the great whole of faith passage. And it talks about all of the things, you know, that the patriarchs did by faith and how we also have faith in God, trusting in his promises, and how we are encouraged then in chapter 12 in light of the, 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 the those who had such great faith, faith that we are to also, you know, therefore do certain things. But let's take a look. Hebrews 11, 1. We'll just do a kind of a sampling of Hebrews 11, and then we'll get into 12 so we can see what the therefore is therefore in verse 12. So now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by faith the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he commended, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Then goes on to talk about Abraham. It talks about Moses. It talks about how the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea on dry, dry ground by faith. And then it ends with these words, starting at verse 32. We'll read these last seven verses. So what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were, listen to this, by faith, tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned and sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. 
all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What is the thing that is promised? Eternal life, right? Since God provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, this is talking about the resurrection, that all of us will be made perfect at exactly the same time in the resurrection. All right, so we've got that worked out. Then Hebrews 12, you kind of get the gist of it. Therefore, verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your own blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as my sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives." It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So you're going to see then, faith then moves to exhortation, exhortation to endure suffering, exhortation to mortify your sinful flesh, and to not, you know, continue in sin, and, and, you know, to actually put to death what is in you, and it's talking about what's also in you, as well as within us as Christians collectively. For you have not come to what may be touched, blazing fire and darkness, gloom and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice of, of a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If any, even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was uh, the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come, listen, to Mount Zion, not to, to Mount Sinai. You've come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, 
and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, into the sprinkled blood that bespeaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Mm, 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 mm. So great passage, all right? So the, you know, strengthening your weak knees is in light of the discipline that God puts you through and, and, and then goes on regarding the exhortation to holiness that we are all called to as Christians. You know, so that's what this passage is about. But Judah Smith here in this sermon, this kind of one-off sermon, is just parachuted into Hebrews 12, 12, therefore, but you don't know what the therefore is there for. Hmm. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let's read it again. That's it. That's just the two verses we're going to study um, this morning. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make your paths for your feet. Make straight paths for your feet, excuse me, comma, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Um, let's, let's call this message um, um, Hands and Knees. Okay. Do you remember that song? I it always I can't remember the lyrics. You know what's really distracting though? He calls it. Let's call it hands and knees. And the knees in his on his the the denim jeans that he's wearing are totally ripped, both of them. Finger, knees, and toes. Shoulders, knees, and toes. Is that a, that's not a Bible? Oh, I thought it was. Okay, uh, Judah, that's Father Abraham there, slugger. Okay, we get it. Come on. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. There's no such thing as secular and sacred. It's like a little heavy for the morning. Okay. Um, would, you, would you pray with me? I love you guys a lot. You're the best looking community I've ever seen. And, um, and I'm not lying this time. Sometimes preachers lie. Did you know that? Now notice the, the pattern. Uh, two verses out of context. Uh, we're going to call this, you know, hands and knees. And now he's going to go into a stand-up comedy routine, which I don't understand what function it plays in the exegesis of these two verses. It's my favorite church to preach in, you know, on this particular Sunday. Okay, Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and for your love for us. Um, Lord, I, I am asking that you would take this um, really um, what, what could be potentially ordinary Sunday and you would make it extraordinary already. So many of us in the, in the room at the same time is, 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 is pretty special. So we ask that you would meet us right now and that you would encounter us and God take your word, bring it to life and use it to build our spirits and souls on the inside in a real, genuine, legitimate, authentic way. That's what we need. Make this more than a sermon and a talk. Let it be a word from heaven. Thank you, Lord. Don't let Tom Brady win any more Super Bowls. I do half-heartedly ask that you would bless the Miami Dolphins and prepare us for Super Bowl 52, the Seattle Seahawks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What an exemplary pl- prayer. I mean, that, that really is, you know, through his example, teaching the people how to approach our holy God in prayer. Don't you think? Will you come back? Okay, thanks, man. How long you been growing your hair, bro? A year and a half. True story. Come on, I liken you to Samson in the scripture. You know, it's like, no, you're not Samson. I'm just kidding. Is your name Samson? Um, 
So if you don't know, uh, my name's Judah. This is my wife, Chelsea. And uh, we have been married for uh, coming up on 18 years. 18 years. Insane. And uh, gosh, I have made her a better woman. But that's not the point. I've really molded her. I've kind of been like a spiritual father to her, raising her. Um, we got married so young, you know. Why are you preaching about yourself? Um, we've had, we have three kids now, and so Zion's about to be 13. Zion's our firstborn. And then our um, second son, Judah Elliot Wendell Smith, his initials are Jews, God's chosen people. And uh, it was intentional. And um, <laughs> last night, John Gray was like, Jesus is not this ethnicity, this ethnicity. And I was like, he's Jewish. You know, I like, <laughs> just wanted to say that. Because he is. But anyways, um, uh, he's still Jewish in heaven. Do you know that Jew- we will be greeted by a Jewish Jesus? Just by the way, he is still... Anyways, okay. So, um, so Jews. And then, and then the third uh, child is my favorite of the three, the little girl. And um, her name is Grace Renee. And uh, oh, I love her so much, man. She cuddles with me in the morning. And, um, she pretends like she doesn't like that. I pinch her buns. You know what I mean? I don't know when that's not okay anymore. I don't know the line. I'd really don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, she's going to be like 16. I'm like, Oh, I love you, sweetie. You know, like, uh, dad. (laughs) So we're still working through kind of when that's, I keep checking in with Chels. Are we good? Um, but you should see these little buns and like the little Lululemon. Oh, oh man. Right. And I just can't handle it. And so anyways, I, I, I love the kids and, and, and I, they're all my favorite, right? I mean, if, if to, to, to be honest, I got an email one time from a lady, actually it wasn't an email. Why would I say email? It was face to face. And it was after one of the services like this, when I said that I have a favorite child and she's like, it's really indiscreet and inappropriate for a pastor preacher to have a favorite child like that. That's not how God works. And so, you know, I punched her, but, um, <laughs> oh my God, you guys, come on. It's a joke. Um, what function does this serve in this message? How does this help us understand Hebrews 12? But, uh, so I don't have, it's like whatever child you're with, if you have multiple children, whichever one you're with is your favorite. It's just hard to like, your heart just swells. It gets bigger. It is what it is. Um, but there is of the three, one that really, really can get under my skin. And wouldn't you know, it's the one who's always most like you. Okay. Now, if you're not a parent, consider yourself blessed, but, um, I'm, come on. Children are a blessing. They're in arrows in our quiver. Um, but, it, but it's, it's Judah Elliot Wendell Smith, right? We're the same guy. We're the same dude. And of course, if, if you have a child that's like you, the reason they drive you nuts is because you want to stop them. The road they're on is going to be laden with pain and dysfunction. You're like, don't go my way, son. It will not be well for you. There's much, much much pain this way, right? This emotional instability, it will not serve you well. Ask your mom, you know, like she deals with it here. So, uh, Judah Elliott Wendell Smith is, he's all heart. Okay. 
And by describing my son, I'm also simultaneously describing myself. Okay. But it just is what it is. He's, he's all heart. Um, he can be discouraged by the smallest of things, but when he wants to, he can really focus on really, really difficult things. Okay. But, but, but the two Judas in this amazing, um, woman's world, um, just pray for Chell. Okay. Like pray for my wife. It is challenging. I'll give you for instance. Okay. You're like, what do you mean easily discouraged? Elliot and I are easily discouraged. Okay. I, for instance, I'm, I don't Google well. Now that you might find that to be like, that's not true. It is true. Like I don't, I don't Google well. You, you don't Google well. Um, wow. That, that, that's some transparency right there. Yeah. Googling frustrates me. When I say frustrate me, like I literally get down. My head drops because Chelsea will be like, let's Google it. I, I, I'm not a good Googler. I think there are good Googlers and I think there are bad Googlers. Okay. Like preparing a sermon, getting up preaching, not a problem. Googling, please, please don't make me do it. Okay. Cause what ends up happening? Like I'll Google, like when are the Seattle supersonics going to come back to Seattle? Right. And I'll Google something like that. And before I know, I'm, I'm on some East Coast high school named the Sonics. And I'm reading about some father-son dynamic relationship drama. And I'm like lost. And then I like come up to, for air. And I'm like, wait, what was I? I just, it's too much information. I can't. Some of you are good Googlers. You don't even realize it, right? Because you're 12. But you just like. <laughs> someone says Google it. You Google it. And you have an amazing article, you know, printed in the Huffington Post about everything you want to know about. I can't find the right information. I always find the wrong information or end up buying something on eBay, you know, after I've been Googling. So I get frustrated. I see this in L Doc, right? He's easily discouraged. Now, if this morning you are one of us, you are easily discouraged. Welcome to the party. Okay. We're in this together. We're going to be all right. Don't be discouraged about being discouraged. That's part of the problem. Okay. I have learned over the years that, you know, we all have our propensities and our weaknesses. And I realize, and so does Chelsea now, that my discouragement is not some uh, horrific, uh, dumb thing I did. It's just kind of in the DNA. And she sees. Do you think anybody has remembered what he read from Scripture at this point? Yeah, no. Now an L dog, and we have like this moment, like, wow, it's really, yeah, it's just in there. And of course, L dog, like his dad, um, we're generally pretty nice people. But if you push us far enough, um, we'll kill you. Right. So Elliot is, is, is he, he's, he's way bigger than his older brother. Okay. And, and his older brother will push him, push him, push him, push him. And then you hear death. Okay. And Zion is running for his life as Elliot has lost his mind. And I'm literally somebody like, is your, is your family? Okay, bro. No, we're not actually. Thanks for asking. Um, but I got to hold this guy back and he just kind of loses his awareness because there's just something in him. It's a, it's, it's kind of DNA. And of course God can help us through our DNA. But if you're easily discouraged, all I'm saying this morning is I can completely relate. Have you ever felt 
discouraged. Now, that's an interesting word in church life because when I put, when I put out the word discouraged, that has become a, a very heavy term and a very intense terminology, church-wise, that is. Now, if you're kind of new to, new to this space, new to community, the word discouraged maybe uh, isn't a, a, a horrible title to you. But for many of us in church, the idea of I'm discouraged is kind of the, the it's, it's, it's synonymous with admitting you're defeated. And so if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that that's not, you don't show up at church and go, I'm discouraged, especially if you're a leader, because you, you, you can't be, you have to, joy is a choice, Judah. Welcome to my childhood. Okay. Right. No, I can't, you can't be discouraged. So when I say, are you discouraged? Maybe something goes off inside of you because you've been in church long enough to go, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm not like discouraged. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm not discouraged. Let me describe it to you like this then, okay? We've just read two verses from Hebrews chapter 12. Context is we've got ancient Jewish believers, okay? Jews who have left the synagogue, left the temple. They have now accepted Jesus as their Messiah. Jesus has now fulfilled the law. Their life is no longer dictated and determined and defined by the law, but now it's by relationship and worship to Jesus who has fulfilled the law once and for all for them. They've accepted him and now they're going to live the Jesus life and the Jesus way and everything was going great until persecution just seeped in and now all of a sudden new regimes, new kings, new kingdoms and all of the sudden the Jewish believers are not liked in the streets of their city. And so all of a the sudden they're getting... Now the isagogics there are a wee bit off but I'm not going to quibble on that. Discouraged. And so the writer of Hebrews says, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now he, 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 the, 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 the author doesn't literally mean some of you have very long arms. Pick them up a little bit. Okay. Some of you MCL, ACLs, fix them. We got, no, 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 no. He's, it's a metaphor. But clearly by this metaphor, it is very evident to me that God has something for these Hebrews to do and somewhere for them to go. I'd like to say to Vuchert, something for them to do and somewhere for them to go. Uh, huh. Yeah, this may be why he quoted it out of context. This morning, God has something significant for you to do and some very significant places for you to go. We've got to keep moving. We've got to keep moving. Now, the, 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 the greatest problem with discouragement, and we're going to define it in a moment, so we'll put a pin in that. The, great, the, greatest, the greatest challenge is discouragement causes you, very simple, to stay where you are. We get so hung up on... Um. Yeah, this text has nothing to do with that. So notice, he's framed the problem through squirrely isagogics, and now he's he's this the, the apparently the problem that this text is solving is you know that you're so discouraged that you're not going where you're supposed to. Uh huh. Boy, is that vague terms and there's so much uh, jargon in the church and, and the meaning is lost. When, when we say quit, a lot of people believe that means going back. Quitting can just simply be staying right where you are. Right? So you, we can't stay right where we are. We've got to keep moving. Now, the tr- moving in what way? That's kind of vague. 
Drooping hands imagery. First of all, I know why hands are before knees, because if you have drooping hands, hands is a picture of strength and strength in scripture always. And so hands means your strength is drooping. Your strength is. Yeah, I would say the argument there in Hebrews 12, therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees. Is a call to prayer. Yeah, this this is just. Straight up the fact here. Lift your drooping hands. Jews, when they would pray, would lift their hands to heaven. Strengthen your weak knees is another way of talking about prayer, which, you know, in the Christian era, I mean, er early on, becomes a prominent way to pray. Mm -hmm. So this is, so lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees is saying, get on your knees or lift your hands and pray and make straight paths for your feet. Oh boy, yeah. And when your strength is low, your activity is limited. So if you've got little strength, knees are a picture of action or movement or activity in Scripture. So when no, um, in this case, this is talking about prayer. Have low energy, you have little activity, and so clearly the writer of Hebrews is saying, "I need you to increase your energy and and, and intensify your." Activity, and so I'm telling Vu Church that for what we got to increase our energy because God has so much more activity for us to be involved in, right? So, boy, that was tortured. I mean, the way he arrived at that conclusion was through twi- taking the text and literally twisting it into a pretzel, and not paying attention to what is really being referred to regarding hands. And knees. When I said discouraged, you probably didn't think low energy towards God. But that's actually what discouragement is. It's actually when you, it's very simple, it's very, I'm kind of, it's kind of clinical. It means you have low energy towards God. And you know, a lot of people think low energy towards God's a bad thing. You know what? Sometimes it's outside of your circumstances and situations and you can't control it. I've been taught all my life, in, in, in many cases, that, you know, discouragement is your fault. Sometimes low energy towards God is because your friends are being killed for loving Jesus. You know what? My energy meter would probably go, like, God, what's going on? Have you ever had low energy towards God? Now, be careful when you have low energy. This entire epistle is not about low energy toward God. Where are you getting this? Towards God, because that's when you make dumb decisions, Esau. When we have low energy towards God, we, it's like your body, right? When your body is usually, if you're eating clean, right? Especially early on in changing your diet, your body will need energy. And what will it crave for energy? Cheap, fake energy through white refined sugar. And it'll give you a high and it'll crash. We do the same in our spiritual journey. When we crave energy towards God, we use stimulants that are not scriptural. They're not satisfying. They're not fulfilling. And they take us on a high and then we plummet into even a worse low. Right? So what happens when you have low energy towards God? You have little activity. And before you know it, the church becomes a monument, right? And not a movement. And we're no longer active in the city because we have low energy towards God. Hey, are you discouraged? No, 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 I'm fine. Do you feel a little less energy than normal for God? Yeah. 
Okay, that's a form of discouragement, and you're not alone. It's been happening for a long time in the church. Now, interestingly enough, the writer here is writing to a collective. He's writing to a community. He, this is plural. It's plural even in its format. The writer is speaking plural here. So there's not like a few people with low energy. There's a lot of people with low energy. And sometimes that happens in church. And I want to go on record to say that doesn't make you bad or weird or not okay. It's sometimes life in the big city. So the writer says, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Now, at first glance, it sounds like he's saying what my math teacher used to say to me, which is, Judah, what are you doing? Right? And she'd walk by my desk and I'd be in like pre-algebra, which I was there for three years. And I, don't laugh, man. That's a real thing. Okay. So I'm like. She'd be like, what are, you, what are you doing? And, and I look up at her and I would say this. I don't know. That's my point. I don't, show your work. I don't know how to do that either. How'd you get the answers from her? <laughs> I was talking to a friend recently. I'm like, did you cheat in school? He's like, oh my gosh, absolutely not. I was like, I absolutely did. So I'm just going on record to say that, you know, I graduated with a 2.9 that belonged to a lot of my friends. <laughs> Right, Because when you don't know how to do something, you don't know how to do something. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you have low energy towards God, pick it up. And your response, if you're honest, is I would if I could. I don't, I don't, I don't know how, like, hello, these, these are friends of people that are being killed for their faith. And the writer of Hebrews has the gall nerve and the audacity to say, hey, 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 pick it up. We would if we could, gee whiz, like we're out here getting killed, right? Now, again, this is the problem with reading just a couple of verses and not understanding what's going on. Because a few verses before, in fact, throughout this letter, the writer of Hebrews has told the community of Hebrew believers how to increase their energy towards God. He's already done that. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, for instance, in verses 1 and 2. Maybe you've heard these before. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking, looking, verse 2, looking, looking, looking. Yeah, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is not about picking up drooping energy. Jesus. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, verse 3. Looking to Jesus, verse 3. Consider him. You know how you get your energy back? You know how you get your energy towards God back? You've got to look to Jesus and consider him. Yeah, that, that's, I, sure. Mm-hmm. Why don't you model that for us by telling us all about Jesus? So how do we do that? Here's what we have underestimated in community life, in church life. We have underestimated spending time with each other talking about God. Yeah, isn't that what church is for and what the pastor is supposed to be doing? This is weird. Okay, yeah, if you've underestimated it, don't you think you should model that for us? And we have, we, we really have. Singing is definitely in the Bible. Preaching, definitely in the Bible. I could argue in the New Testament teaching. 
that talking to each other about God is more prevalent and more prominent than even being told that we're to sing together. Okay, you just made an assertion. Would you back it up with some texts? And preach at each other. We need to spend time. This is something I've just been on lately in community life, and I believe it will increase the energy of VU Church if we will spend time. We're talking about VU Cruise, and it sounds super cool, and you are a very handsome man, and it's like, wow, this is VU Cruise, so cool. No, 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 no. What we're trying to do is live out the scripture because I need you to tell me about what God has done in you because that will shoot adrenaline in my soul. I, I need to get my energy back. I... I need you. Remember now, this is plural. This is a group project. We need to do this together. We need each other. Looking to Jesus, consider him. I say it like this. We've got to stay in the story. Please hear me, Vu Church. We've got to stay in the story. As I said a moment ago, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does that tell us about the universe? The universe is the story of God. The glory of God is the story of God. And the story of God is being played out in the earth. And it includes South Beach. And it includes whatever city, barrio, neighborhood, or hood you are from. It includes that. It is God's story. It's actually not your story. It's actually not my story. We got inserted into his story. and it's Yeah, okay, great. Why are you talking so much about your then why aren't you telling his story so you'll note here that in the name of being entertaining and engaging he has to tell everybody about himself and his family and his daughters and his son and all that kind of stuff but we haven't really heard um about christ now have we story has been going on for thousands of years the mountains declare his story. The rivers declare his story. The architecture declares his story. Art declares his story. It's all his story. What happens is because we have become so individualized in our living and our thinking is we fall for that age-old trick to believe. This is my story. It's a fine term, my story. I'm not against that. I'm just saying as long as we understand contextually, it's actually literally, really, truly, actually not figuratively his story. And I'm just happy. Great. Tell it, would you? To be inserted. (laughs) Wow. I kind of got big picture. So we got to stay in the story. Best way we stay in the story is get together. Uh, Maybe the way we stay in the story is by continuing to tell the story. What's the story exactly? Be together and remind each other, hey, 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 hey. So community, man, that, that's much better than actually telling the story, which we haven't even heard today. Lost your job, but this is his story, and it's going to be played out. And God is good, and he is faithful, and he is true, and his story is being played out in, in the earth. So it says, strengthen your, or, or, or lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and he goes on and he says so so verse 13 and make straight paths for your feet that's interesting make straight paths for your feet so what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed make straight paths for your feet that's interesting make straight paths for your feet now again this is plural the plural he's it's actually written in plural So he's talking to an entire community, much like this room, and he's saying, make straight paths for your feet. 
What could that mean? Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew people, they were nomadic people. They were walking people. And so there's much to be said about how these ancient Hebrews would know about their ancestors and all the walking they did. And so the metaphor would have hit home a bit more than the metaphor would for us today living in South Beach. You know, it's like make straight paths for your feet. Like when's the last time you went hiking? You know what I mean? So this isn't Seattle. But um, make straight paths for your feet. Of course, it's rooted in this this Jewish history that they would literally clear out the path and they would remove rocks and they, I think the glory of the Lord just showed up. Do you guys see that? The cloud of God. I mean, I, I can't see you. I just hope you can see me, but, um, it's cool. Is somebody smoking back there? Come on. No kidding. The smoke machine at church is just all on its own started to go off and there's smoke filling the stage. Yeah. It's just, what happens when you go with a Sacramento disco, Sacramento disco ball and smoke machine as part of your worship implements? You'll go to heaven smelling like hell. Okay. So I don't know. I've been in church so long. Like I got all the line, the one liners, you know? Um, so what's important here this morning is, do you guys ever have dramas at your church? We had, we had drama like heaven's gates, hell's flames. And this is what it was like, you know? And anyways, still not telling his story, still telling Judah Smith's story. This is a, it's good stance. <laughs> okay. I don't know where we were in the sermon because I can't see you. <laughs> Kidding. It's, it's actually super important to have this much fog. <laughs> okay. So making, making straight paths literally meant they would actually, ancient Jews would remove rocks and roots and, and, and they would fill up holes so that the Hebrews would have straight paths. It would be clear. So now the writer is taking an ancient metaphor picture and he says, Hey, make straight paths for your feet. What could he mean? What could he mean? What could he mean? Okay. So he's talking here to the whole church and he says, make straight paths for your feet. What he's not talking about is their corporate gatherings. He's actually not at all referring to their Sunday morning meetings. He's talking to them now about their everyday lifestyle. Yeah, it's, it, the text is talking about holiness. It says, I want you to make straight paths for your feet. And I'd like to say something to Voo Church, if I could be so bold. I think I got a holy hunch, right? another thing I heard preachers say, a holy hunch that God is asking people in this church and community to live the life that you are graced and aided and helped by the spirit of Jesus himself to live. When he says make straight paths for your feet, what he's actually saying is it is far past due for men and women in this ancient community to step up and live consistent lives, consistent in your actions, consistent in your words, consistent in your walk, consistent in your attitude. You know what this is? It's a call for level living, level living, just level living. Now, if you're like me, again, going back to the emotional instability that I have obviously granted my second son is I am given to high highs and low lows. In fact, I love the high highs and in a sick, sadistic sort of You're hearing a lot more about Judah Smith. We've heard nothing about Jesus substantive that I can see. Sometimes I like the low lows. Do you know what I mean? You ever just like being down? Like, I'm so down. Ugh. Right? But here, 
the writer of the Hebrews is pleading, saying, would you lean in and start developing a level life? You know what's crazy? Is I think sometimes it takes more faith, more faith to live a level Monday than take some incredible mission trip somewhere to the ends of the earth and dig wells. Right? And Nick, are we are we humorous or is that just me? We never even met the person that lives in the condo next door. But boys, send us to the ends of the earth and we will dig wells and hold babies and take pictures. You know what I mean? Like me too though, me too. I'm in this too. Chelsea's like, let's go meet our neighbors. Ah, sports center's on. Whew, I can't wait to preach Sunday. What is wrong with me? Judah, let's go meet our neighbors. Uh, babe, I'm, I'm prepping a sermon here. Wait a second. Right? Let's this level living. Whatever happened to level living. Just consistency. We, we... Yeah, how are you defining level living at this point? Because, I mean, what do we got? Two verses? 12 and 13. Therefore, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Yeah. The passage goes on. The paragraph itself is actually quite helpful. Strive for peace with everyone. Mm-hmm. And for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that uh, that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and that by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Yeah. So the text is talking about what that means and what the Holy Spirit meant when he had this penned. Hmm. A million times. Come on. If you're looking to get married, honestly, 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 consider the level people. Consider the consistent people. By the way, if they dress bad, who cares? You can do a makeover. That's part of what marriage is about. Find somebody who is steady. Right? I've said it before. Sexy Steve. No offense, bro. We love you. You are so overrated. You can be so sensational sometimes. You really can't. And we love you. But Steady Eddie always wins in the end. Right? We want to be, hey, 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 hey. The life you're living for Jesus right now, is it sustainable? Is it sustainable? We're loading in. We're loading out. We're starting. I'm hearing a lot of law here. I'm not hearing law and gospel. Yeah, that's kind of the problem. This is just burdening these people with more law. You got it. You got it. You know, and that's the thing. He starts in the tail end of the book of Hebrews, which is the exhortation part, which literally comes out of the gospel portion where we hear all about what Christ has done for us, our great high priest, and how he, his blood is the blood of the new covenant, you know, and that, uh, you know, that he himself is our, not only the priest, but the sacrifice for our sins. I mean, all of that then flows into the exhortation. Here we're just getting raw exhortation with no gospel, which means we're only getting law. Wow. Church, it's just getting going, but there is a call for God to say, hey, let's live in such a way that you can do this for a long time. 
long time, right? Voot Church is going to be here for the long run. We're not going anywhere, right? We're going to be better at 70. Church is going to continue to grow. We're going to get older. We're going to get gray hair. We're going to raise our babies and our grandbabies, right? That's what we're going to do. We're not going to be always. So apparently when you raise your voice like that, that's part of the applause, expected applause line portion of the sermon. Got it. Okay. 28. That's okay. We're going to stay young in our attitude, but our bodies won't. That's okay. Voo Church is not anchoring itself to an age demographic. That doesn't define who we are. We're for all people, and we're going to be here for a long time. So the call is for level living, consistency. And the greatest enemy of your level living are, are, are holes. In, in the, not, not roots, not rocks. It's the holes. It's the hole. Right, yes. Yeah. So you, when you're trying to do the level living thing, you, you don't want any holes. <laughs> Did you find this in the Amanda Wells translation of the Bible in there in Hebrews? And do you know what the holes typically are? It's um, social breakdown. That's all it is. It's relational breakdown. It's relational breakdown. I'm telling you something, Voo Church. You will never be stopped by the outside. The only way this church can be stopped is from the inside. And the inside is where hurt goes undealt with. And Matthew chapter 18 is not lived out. And those holes will get bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you will take the step to go to that somebody or that special sister or brother who hurt you and annoyed you and bothers you. And you'll do it immediately and say, hey, you hurt me. I love you. I want to communicate. And you ask for forgiveness and you hug each other and you pray together. I'm telling you what God has planned to do to Voo Church and through Voo Church will not be stopped. So we're going to tend. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. Now we're talking about Voo Church. Yeah. Notice he's still not preaching his story. Jesus is. Now we're in the Voo Church story. Yeah. Our path. You hear me? You're going to tend your path. That's what you're going to do. God's grace you to do it. You can look at that path and you tend it and you care for your garden, so to speak. Care for it. Guard your heart from which flows the issues of life. There is greatness in seed form here. In seed form. But if you will tend the path, if you will tend the garden, it will flourish and become a tree that tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands can find rest, restoration, and shade, and belonging, and care, and love. Tend to your path. Tend to your heart. Tend to your life. Tend to your words. Tend to your eyes. Tend to your thoughts. Tend to your Attitude. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you don't know what that term means, we'll talk later. Yeah, there's a lot of leaven in this man-centered sermon. This isn't funny. Make straight paths for your feet, and I'm coming to a close. And and um, I was thank gonna... God, Samson. But that's inappropriate. My friend with uber long hair can join me. Um, Thanks, bro. I'm sorry. I didn't know you were sitting there. It's like super awkward, you know? (laughs) I seriously did not know that. I love you so much. I'll see you soon. Um, So it says, (laughs) people amaze me. Can I just say, Boo Church, you absolutely amaze me. Rye Good and I are sitting in the back, and I'm like, 
who are all of these people? Like, like I, 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 I know that Voo Church currently can't pay most of the people that serve here. Like we're growing. We're just starting. We're beginning. We're going to be able to have an amazing staff of hundreds of people. But right now, you are the most incredible, amazing volunteers with a heart to love people, serve this city, and serve the house. You are incredible. I want you to know that. I promise you this isn't normal. Please hear me. This is not normal. I hope it becomes the new normal. Normal is the new awesome, you know, like steady living. But you are not normal. You're amazing people. And if together we will steward our path, make the path straight for your feet, comma, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Lame. Now, that's not a popular term, of course, but. What it means here, contextually, is that there were lame people in the community. Now, forgive the term, because in our modern context, you would never say, dude, you're so lame, right? You haven't said that since middle school. But lame literally meant it was... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience in order to get them to make some kind of a decision. The, apparently the decision regarding hands and knees and more activity, you know, so that you don't get, um, you know, don't have low energy toward God. Jewish believers who were caught between two opinions about who God is, that's all. And their opinion was this, is he a Messiah still to come or has the Messiah come? Who is God? Is he still this God or is he this God? And look what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, if you will live these level, consistent lives, attitude, heart, action, word, deeds, people in community who are caught between two opinions about God, over time, that lameness will get stronger. Mm -hmm. Okay. It'll get stronger. The truth about church takes a long time. I had a friend recently move from our city to about two hours away, taking a, a coaching job in one of our major universities, and it's pretty awesome. And we hugged each other and cried. He, we've been together for 24 years. And he looked at me, and he said these words, this church healed me. And I remember when he showed up at church. He was a wild man. I loved him. He was incredible. But you know what? My friend didn't get healed overnight. He had to watch he had to wonder, is this real? Are these people legitimate? Are they authentic? And you know what? It didn't take a year. It didn't take two years. 24 years later, he looked at me and said, I'm healed. And I thought to myself, that's church. That's church. And maybe that doesn't fill a room automatically, but it'll change people's so see, what we have in front of us is an extraordinary, extraordinary opportunity that is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And that is to band together in this collective and in this co-op and commit to tend to our lifestyle. And over time, people will be added to the church as it pleases him. And they will come in disjointed. They will come in lame. They will come in torn between multiple opinions about who God is. Is God good? Is God gracious? Is God just? Is God reconciling the world to himself? Is God, is he really everything? And you know what they'll watch? Don't be fooled. YouTube, sermons, overrated. They'll watch you. They'll watch you. 
and they'll go to dinner with you and then they'll finally have enough courage to come over to your house and they'll watch you and they'll watch you interact and they'll watch you and, and, and over time they'll be healed. Vu Church is called by God. Yeah, what, define that. Where does repentance, the forgiveness of sins, and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance come into this narrative? To be a place where people get healed. And the Holy Spirit will use you to be an agent of healing. I end. I'm done with this. Luke 15 is this profound passage that has changed my life and it has ultimately kind of framed for us what's happening in Seattle and L.A. and Guadalajara. It is in this parable, and I conclude, it is in this parable that Jesus is questioned by his critics why he has such a motley crew. In other words, he hangs out with disreputable people and the pastor... The text says sinners, so I think we're going to get something like the gospel here at the end. Let's see if he sticks the landing don't like it. And so they come blogging and critiquing and questioning. And Jesus says, let me explain. And he gives us three parables and I'm done. The first parable, he tells about a hundred sheep. The second parable, he tells about a 10 coins. The last parable, he tells about two sons. And if you look at the picture in a totality, it becomes evidently clear to me that Jesus is saying, the reason I beloved these people is because I love people and people are vulnerable prone to wandering, image-bearing children of infinite value to God. That's the message, right? What? That's one parable, by the way, in three chapters, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son. Uh Uh-huh. And they are pictures of true repentance and of God's love and mercy to seek and save the lost and to forgive them. The coins, the sun, right? The sheep, wandering, vulnerable, right? Selfish, individualized people who bear the image of God, who are his children, who are of infinite value. And Jesus is saying, they're all my kids. They're, I know they're wandering. I know they struggle. I know, I know, but they, they look like me and, and they're my kids and I love them. And so you see them as disreputable people. I see them as my wayward children. So... That's why I'm living the way I'm living. So he gets to the end of the parable as I get to the end of my message. And Luke 12, 32, have you, have you ever, ever read this? And I just feel like this is, you're just going to give us the, the summary totally out of context without reading any of the parables. Wow. How is this going to bring people to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins and trust in Christ for all of that? Church, it says, it was fitting, the father says. If you know the story of the two sons, the younger son goes away, spends all of his wasteful, all the money of his inheritance of his father, right? Comes back, kind of. The father sees him, runs to him, says, hey, I love you. And instead of disciplining his wayward son who wasted all the money, he gives him new clothes and jewelry and throws a big party with a DJ and they eat filet mignon. It's a big deal, right? Well, meanwhile, there's an older son who stayed in his dad's house. He was faithful. He was true. He was right. And from the field, he hears the music and the dancing and he won't even go into the house. This will not be who we're going to be. This is not who Voo Church is. We're not going to stay outside. We're going to join the party of humanity, right? So the party of humanity, the party there was thrown for a forgiven penitent sinner who was restored to his father.
out in the field. He's out in the field. And, and the father came out to him. Verse 28 says, and then he, he says, dad, I, I never did anything wrong. Why, why didn't you do this for me? And he, he says, he says, what? And he, and, and, and the whole story ends. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. And then, and then the story just ends. And I was asking God one day, why does the prodigal son story, it just ends in this suspended scene out in the field. We don't even know if the older son ever comes in. The last scene we're privy to is the father. Have you considered that the context had something to do with this? The reason, read Luke 15. It begins with the Pharisees grumbling that Jesus hangs out, eats with sinners and tax collectors and riffraff of that type. And then Jesus tells these parables then you can tell the end of Luke 15, the point of bringing in the um, disrespectful, self-righteous son into the story is because is that's who the Pharisees are in this story. With graciousness for both kids out in the field going, it was right. And the lights dim and the scene's over and that's all we get. So, did they reconcile? Did they... And it dawned on me one day, do you know why it ends like that? Because the story leaves you craving a true older brother. It leaves you craving. What? Do you see, we, in, in the story, we think it's about two sons, but you know, there's a third son telling the story. He's what? What? Jesus is the one telling the story. Son of the living God. Yeah, I know, but that's. Oh, man. Oh, this is no way to exegete those, that parable. He's the true son. You know what that you know what that older brother should have done? He should have saw his grieving father every day as his dad got out on the patio on the porch and looked down the street and looked down the road. And that older brother should have came out and said, Dad, his, his, you love this kid that much. Yes, son, I miss him every day. I'm so desperate for him to come back. Dad, are you serious? Okay, I'm going to go find him, Dad. I'm going to go, no, son. No, Dad, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the son that I need to be. I'm going to be the brother I need to be. And I'm going to go find Now we're just adding all kinds of stuff to to this parable that isn't there. Wow. Kind of like uh, the stuff that Amanda Wells was doing earlier. Yeah. Him wherever he is in the highways and the byways. Let us live a life that looks like the third son. Clear the path so that those who are lame might be healed. That's who we are. That's who This doesn't even make any sense. Food churches. We're not staying in the field. We're joining the party in the house. All are welcome. All belong. All are loved. All are God's children. Can I? None have been brought to repentance of their sins. Faith in Christ for his mercy and forgiveness and grace won on the cross. Amen. All right. So that was the um, sermon. Yeah, I don't know what that was. I mean, it starts off with a biblical text, but wow, did we end up somewhere else pretty quick. So, yeah, he said it was the Bible's really all about his story, but never really told Jesus' story. It's strange how that all works. Yeah, it's part of the narcissism of our culture. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, 
you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>